0: hello and welcome to the salty club podcast i'm your host caitlin creeper and i am here today with alex scott alex is a narcissistic abuse healing coach alex welcome to the show we're so happy to have you here
1: thank you i'm super happy to be here it's going to be a good conversation
0: yeah I think so let's start with how did you become a narcissistic abuse healing coach how did it begin yeah
1: yeah what a loaded question um I'll keep it short and brief but basically um I you know, in my early twenties, I kept finding myself repeating really unhealthy relationship patterns. I, I was dating a lot of, you know, man after man who was taking advantage of me and using my words against me, using past pains against me. And eventually I, I actually started asking really hard questions to my most toxic partner ever. And as I started asking questions, um, I started taking what I was kind of seeing and observing in this person. person to Google. And I was like, what does it mean when someone does this? What is, you know, like this tactic? And I started to learn like, this is abuse. Like these are actual, there's things like gaslighting and triangulation, which I had no vocabulary for, but as I started looking these things up, I was learning. And so I finally just sat him down and was like, you know, I had known at that point in our relationship that he had been to court ordered therapy previously for, um, it's a long story, but for some physical violence that had taken place in a club. And, um, I asked, I was like, when you were in court ordered therapy, did like a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder or narcissism come up. And he actually was honest, which is like, I look back in that moment and I'm like shocked that he actually admitted to me that yes, he was diagnosed, um, NPD with borderline traits to be exact. And, um, because they don't, they usually don't admit things like that. Um, and so when I realized that, um, I started just to plot my escape, you know, and if you've been through an abusive relationship or even just someone who's like trending severely narcissistic, maybe they aren't even diagnosed you, that's something that's going to resonate with people because it, it's not a breakup. Like Hey, really enjoyed our time together. And I just think it's time for us to go our separate ways. Wish you all the best. Like that conversation doesn't happen. It's quite literally a chess match where you need to think ahead and plot your moves in a calculated way to be able to exit in such a safe manner. Right. So I got to work on doing that and stuck to it. And then as I started healing from that relationship and learning more about narcissism and like how to avoid repeating those patterns, I realized I had a narcissistic parent and when I went to my half sister she's 9 years older than me has a very different relationship with our with this parent they actually agreed they were like yep that's exactly right. Like this is, this is how this person operates. And, you know, again, our experience have been different. Like my, my half sister is a little bit more of the golden child in the narcissistic parent dynamic and I'm the scapegoat. But if you have a narcissistic parent, and this was very much true of our relationship with them, that it swapped depending on like Who was, you know, being the better version of the child that the narcissistic parent wanted to push the other one to conform to, right? So it changed depending on the narc parent's agenda. But that was something that, you know, as I started to realize, I was like, oh my God, like I need to take this healing work seriously if I really want to get out of like the cycle I see and live a life where I'm in alignment with who I actually am and I feel calm. That was the other thing my baseline was anxiety. So, you know, how can I find a life and create a life for? me where I am having healthy relationships, where I am supported, where I am feeling at peace within my body, you know, and I can tap into my intuitive self. So that's the cliff notes of how I came, you know, (laughs) seven plus years later, here I am teaching others to have the same transformation.
0: That's incredible because it's a very hard world to work in and having those kinds of words that you have are just life-changing that word like gaslighting when I was in an abusive relationship all I know is that I was being made to feel crazy but I didn't know that word yet so there's something about reading that oh no this is intentionally happening to me that I can't trust my own version of reality there is just something so strong about having that language to use because before that what do you have or you you can't even trust your own judgment because that's being completely warped yeah and
1: I think a lot of people like abuse is such a scary word and a lot there's a lack of education on what abuse is what trauma is typically when we hear big scary words like that our minds go to acute acute events like trigger warning here for anyone so let's all take a deep breath together but um things like rape and mugging and shootings and things of that nature which you know, um, are, they happen way too often to begin with. And that's yes, very much abuse. That's very much traumatic. And there's also these things called little T traumas and abuse that's verbal and emotional, emotional, and mental. The science shows it's just as damaging for the physical abusive aspects or dynamics as well. So, you know, there's a lot of survivors of narcissistic abuse that are scared to own the fact that I am a a abuse survivor. I am, I have been traumatized. I have been through something like this because there's this idea that if we claim that, you know, narcissism is abusive or that I've, I have been abused, we feel like we're taking the spotlight away from people who have had more intense, you know, versions of abuse and trauma. And I want to say that it all sucks. It all sucks. It's all bad. It's all traumatic. It all leaves wounds that if left unresolved really can cause us to have self-sabotaging, um, behaviors and also really experience a life that is not what we want. Like it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not peaceful. It's not abundant. It's not, you know, it feels very glass half empty, you know, instead of half full. And, um, you know, for anyone out there that's listening to this, I just want to say when we can own, like, this is abuse. This person was narcissistic. The second we start to get there, we start to make progress because now we're not working against ourselves, right? So I just want to name that because I think that a lot of people feel like unworthy of even identifying as an abuse survivor you know and it's like you are babes like we we gotta we gotta understand that labeling what we've been through as abuse or that we have trauma doesn't take away from others who have had it worse and simultaneously it actually allows you to move through and take the healing work seriously to the to the level that you really need to right
0: Yeah, totally. And I think there's that other other level of shame because there's such a misconception about the kind of woman who ends up in an abusive relationship, that she's not educated, that she's insecure, that you can, I can just lift, lift off so many things. So, so so many women who find themselves in this position are like, how did this happen to me? And I think, what, can you speak to that, that misconception about the kind of woman that gets into these kinds of relationships?
1: Thank you for saying that. I just want to say, cause it's, it's, it's so true. And this is such a good question. Um, and you would be surprised. Like, I feel like you're the first person who has ever asked me this question. So thank you. Um, we need to understand this is really perverted in the sense that narcissistic people, especially go after people that they admire. People that they, that have something that they don't have, whether it's confidence, whether it's joy, whether it's a CEO title, whether it's, you know, a humanitarian type, like they have, they have this service heart, right? This service-based heart, Um and the reason narcissistic people go after folks that have something they can't have is I kind of like the analogy I like to, there's a few analogies I use to describe narcissists, but one of them is the vampire type archetype where they quite literally suck the energy and joy and confidence and all of that out of the people that they choose to prey on and eventually get into relationship with and then you know utilize all of those aspects of themselves for the narcissist, right? And so um, you know, we need to understand that first of all, I want to just shout from the rooftop rooftops that there is a lack of education on what narcissism is. And unfortunately, especially in the case of America, but globally, a lot of narcissistic uh tactics and abusive behaviors have been normalized by societies. So, you know, one, let's just wave a big red flag and say like, yes, the system is broken. There is a lack of education. And yes, a lot of these women and people who have been through these relationships don't know what they don't know. It's not their fault. Two, Mm -hmm. the fact that these women who are are so successful in all aspects of their life, but for some reason in relationships just happen to keep choosing toxic partnerships, it's not because you know the 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 woman is uneducated or or silly or a lack of like, yes, this the insecurity thing can come to fruition in certain ways. Like, you know, we talk about past conditioning and things of that nature, but it's less of that and it's way more the when you don't know what narcissism is, you don't know what narcissism is. And a lot of these women that are so successful, they they have it they're, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they have their shit together. and they choose to love people because they have big hearts. And so they choose to give the benefit of the doubt. And all of these things, it's not a negative thing. It's just there's a again, this not misunderstanding of, you know, my heart and, and choosing to love this person isn't the problem. It's who I'm it's how I'm qualifying these partners and vetting them to choose intentionally that they deserve that kind of love from me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I hope that helps. Like, you know, yes, lack of education, but two, you know, the narcissist is preying on people in a calculative manner to take, you know, from them what they don't have within themselves. And the the women who fall prey to these relationships love to love. And so, of course, they're happy to give that support. Right. Or or the Mm -hmm. confidence or the reassurance or whatever it is that the narcissist is trying to take from them over and over and over again. And it's not until they kind of hit a rock bottom that they realize like, oh, my God, what who am I now? Like, I feel like a shell of myself, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I hope that helps. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for breaking that down. And it's so true. Something I see specifically in my corner of the world, because I've lived on in tourist spots since I was 22, so almost mm. 10 years now. And... I I know it because I went through it myself. I came and I was traveling and I was really open to the world. And that's when I fell into this kind of relationship. And when I came, I was so myself, right? As much as you can be when you're 22, you're still figuring out a lot of stuff. But I remember I was just like so open to the world and I wanted to have an experience and I wanted to taste life and I had so much like fire. And then someone I met around that time, I remember I saw them again when I was about a year and a half into the relationship. And she and then I saw her again a few years out of the relationship and she said, "When I saw you in that relationship, that second time, it was like you had no personality, mm-hmm. nothing. And she was like, it was so strange talking to you because there was just nothing there. And it's just so interesting because unfortunately what I see a lot is these women who have so much to give and so much love and they want to eat the world whole and that's why they're going through these places. But the downside of that is maybe they don't have their usual support system. And because you're in a different culture, you do have to be open to like, okay, maybe things are different, maybe. So that kind of does open to questioning your own version of reality too. And it's something that I unfortunately see over and over is many girls getting like for lack of a better i see so many beautiful relationships i'm in one now with a guy from guatemala and we have a beautiful baby and i see that a lot too thank you but i also see because i've seen it myself a lot of women who travel to these places do get stuck in these relationships and they can't get out because they don't have their usual support system, their usual culture, their usual framework. And I've seen some really sad stories about that. And the other side of that is because coming to these places can be painted as this paradise, right? Because you're going to these tropical places on the beaches, you met a a, a foreigner or you met someone overseas. And it's almost like this this, uh, fantasy gets created that it's almost embarrassing to then come home with your tail between your legs and be like, oh, yeah, that I ended up in a really scary situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's huge. I will say like when we look at larger touristy type cities, like very well-known travel destinations, you know, in America, LA, New York, right? Um, but Chicago, um, when we look at these larger cities, there is a trend and I'm not going to say like narcissists only thrive in these big touristy. That's not what I'm saying, but there is a correlation where there are more narcissistic people in these big, because it's a status thing, right? So, you know, something to be aware of. And like the other thing I actually, um, I actually was talking about this on my podcast this week is that, you know, I'm a big, and this might offend some people, and we can talk about this more if you want to dig into it, but this is huge. It's like, I'm, I really want to get away from narcissistic behaviors being enabled by this excuse of culture right like gaslighting shouldn't be okay no matter where you come from or how you were raised right triangulation shouldn't be okay no matter where you come from or how you were raised right and so a lot of times there there like you said there's these cultures that can kind of normalize these behaviors and that doesn't make it okay that doesn't make it conducive for a healthy relationship ever. Right. And so, you know, I will say that once you start to learn the tactics that narcissistic types utilize, and you can spot them in real time, no matter where you are in the world, it becomes a superpower because it's, you know, verbal, mental, emotional abuse is abuse is abuse, no matter where it is or how it's wrapped up to be. Right. So, you know, I, I, I really want to You know, shout that from the rooftops as well, and just make it very clear like, you know, saying, Well, because of the culture, I'm going to let it slide. And it's like, we got to be way more. And there are some things, absolutely, that that might, that might, you know, on the surface, sure, be excusable. But when it really comes down to I'm calling somebody crazy, when it, when I am pushing you up against and comparing you to my ex partner to shame you into doing something for me,
0: no. No, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because it's true. And I think that's, that's a reason why it's not spoken a lot because you don't want to be seen as the person who comes and starts criticizing another culture, but we are a global society. We do travel, we do meet people, yeah. we do have a society. So there does have to be like a global, we can't just let things slide because they're from a different country. No, yeah.
1: basic, basic human decency, respect, kindness. That's isn't shouldn't that be a global principle that we all aim to be right like mm-hmm. like it's not exclusive to race it's not exclusive to culture respect is respect kindness is kindness
0: you yeah know? totally and like let's use like the word culture properly yes we want to carry down beautiful traditions like the dress and the music and yes. the yes and the at. and like a the community aspect yes so yeah. yes for sure parts of culture but not everything has to be preserved as culture oh. especially things that are so harmful and why would you want to preserve these things you know and oh, i know we yeah. watch how our parents relate and often that can affect like how we date later in life but we also have the choice to change how we relate to our partners what we accept for ourselves and then what our kids and what like the children watch us doing and that's really. kind of that's part of it right
1: always yeah yeah exactly totally
0: um the other thing i want to talk about is and this was something i got a lot i think you must hear this a lot too when friends think they're helping friends get out of a situation like this one big thing they say is why don't you just leave like it's Mm. that simple and as we know from studies the average person can try to leave about seven times before they're actually successful if they leave at all why do you think it's so hard to understand how like intertwined the it actually is and why it's so hard to leave what would you like what would you like more people to understand about why it is so difficult to leave
1: it's so layered it's so deeply layered I need to take a big breath just because my heart hurts like hearing (laughs) this question and like my heart goes out to the to the people who have been told that because it's such an invalidate it feels so invalidating in the moment to hear that um so for all of you out there, like one, we need to understand our, our, our friends and family members who say things like that to us. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And much like maybe you yourself, before you got into this relationship may not have known. Right. I, I, there is someone the other day who was like, I used to think the term narcissism was overused until I, I dated a narcissistic person. and, And now I get it and you know sometimes like that's the way that people learn and and realize um, but you know, going back to what I said before, it isn't as le- as simple as leaving like any other relationship, right? The whole reason it's um abusive is because of the amount of fear and shame that the narcissistic person has injected into the survivor of the abuse. That by the time the survivor of the abuse one realizes they're being abused and two wants to start to make strides to leave, they're in it so deep that it's it's not as easy as just being like, like I said before, this isn't working out. Wish you all the best. Bye. Right. Like you have to be calculated for a few reasons. One safety, right? Like when, when we try and have a conversation with someone, um, who is trending narcissistically abusive, when we, two things will happen. One, they will either go straight into manipulating, like love bombing, manipulating, but don't you love me? But I promise I'll go to therapy. I promise like, let me get through this rough patch and I'll treat you better. Like they will say everything that they want to say and make all the promises that you want to hear really, um, to try and hook you back in. So that can happen. And sometimes version B is they might just go straight into the narcissistic rage, right? How dare you after everything I've done for you and you are going to do this, that, and the other thing after blah, 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 blah. And if you really loved me, that's not love. Like da, 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 da. They're going to say all these really awful things. And version C is they start with the love bombing. Let me tell you what you want to hear. And when they realize that's not working, then they go into the narcissistic rage. So those are the three tracks that it'll take. And really no matter which track it takes, the one thing that will always happen to the survivor of the abusive situation is they will feel more pain and more shame and leaving. And because of the gaslighting that the narcissist will inject throughout those tactics, they're now feeling, am I the crazy one? Am I really the problem? Maybe they're right. Like, I don't really love them if I'm willing to leave, like blah, blah, blah. Like all these different, like we call it cognitive dissonance when your brain's kind of trying to rationalize two different realities coexisting at once. Um, and so, you know, we need to understand that like, ugh. The other aspect that's really important to think about is the physical violence side of things. Sometimes it's one of those things where the, the narcissist will threaten, 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 but never make good on it. Sometimes they do. And so we need to make space for, we, again, can't just simply walk out, leave, the like have a conversation and leave because we need to think about, will this person act on these threats? Because we need to always, always, always put our safety first. And so for anyone that's hearing this and you might be on your way out or trying to figure a way out and you have had threats, I want to tell everyone, like I would rather you have the most intense safety exit strategy that's like you're taking extra precaution and you don't need to utilize it. Like all those resources versus someone who's like, let me cross my fingers and I'm I'm I don't really want to call the authorities or I don't really want to take the time to think of a safe exit strategy. I kind of just want to rip the band-aid off and like figure it out. Like, and then you're you're wishing you had, right? Like something happens where you're like, I wish I did call the authorities. I wish I did take the time to be overly precautious. Right. So it's like always err on the side of taking extra precaution because we need to, again, we want to leave in the safest way possible while avoiding as much abuse as possible. And then when we get into the whole layers of like marriage and children, right. If that's the case for many, then the process is slower. The narcissist is going to want to make it as challenging as possible for you because that's their, that's their motto. When they make things more challenging for you, they get a rise out of it. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, Again, for those of you who may have caught yourself saying that to someone, I hope, like one, maybe this podcast is super educational. Our conversation that we're going to be having on Sunday is super educational, um, but like we need to understand it's not the same. And so, unless you have, unless you have been through it yourself and you have resources to give. I really like encourage those of you who might not understand what your friend has been through is to get curious and ask questions. And 90% of the time, I really want to say this, abuse survivors tell a very watered down version of what they've actually been through. We don't, we don't like to give all the nasty details one because of the internalized shame we carry. It's like, oh my God, like they're going to hear me tell them that this person did this to me. And then they're really going to question why I went back to them. Right. So, you know, please just, just hear that and understand that like a lot of the times the version of the story you're hearing is still watered down. It's still not 100% accurate. That's it.
0: And a lot of the time throughout the relationship, like even if your friends notice if something's wrong, you're trying to convince them it's fine because you're still wanting that version of reality yourself. So it can be like, oh, wait, like you were saying all these positive things about them. And it's like, yeah, but that was covering the reality. And it's so true. And because this is actually the first time I've really opened up about it on a podcast. It is something I like to stay separated from a bit um, because it's true. And then it is something that when I speak about it, it's just like almost as, as theoretical as possible because it it is hard to be inside your story and talk about exactly what what happened. And also at the same time, not everyone is owed your story. You know, I did have people being like, "Mm, I'm not sure. And it's like, well, I don't owe you my story to prove it happened. And I think that can happen too, this situation where it's almost like you have to prove that happened. And I think that also contributes to people being like, I'm just not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: Yeah. And for me, and I know this is definitely true of a lot and maybe you will re- like kind of relate to this. It's like after the first, you know, 10 times I tried to leave, I stopped telling my friends I went back. I just like lived a double life because I was too shameful to admit to them that I was seeing this person again after, like you said, sharing all of the awful things they'd put me through. So I got to a point to where I was just like, you know, like almost like a double agent, but not in the cool way. Like, you know, living this really awful relationship and like trying to, you know love him into a better way of being. Right. Cause that's what all of us yeah. say. Like if I give you more love, if I give you more grace, if you just see how, how willing I am to make this work, maybe you'll finally, you know, start treating me like a human. Um, and I would go to work and my friends would be like, how are you? How are you doing since the breakup? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> little okay. do you know. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm like, yeah. hey, I'm going over there tonight. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I lived with my ex. And I remember, again, after after like a few times I left, I stopped telling people. But I had one friend and she was a little bit older. So maybe she'd kind of had a bit more experience. And she just said, look, I've got a spare room for you whenever you need. And every time I would go there, I'd be like, okay, I'm going back. And she's like, yep, okay. And it turned out to be the best thing because there was no shame around it. And then every time I went back, she said, okay, My house is still open for you like okay and she and she was just like i know you love him and it's okay to love him that's okay and it was just this amount of grace that i wasn't getting from anywhere else because i feel like my other community didn't understand and it was just like this has to be met with what are you doing this is so stupid but someone to be like yeah you can love him but also you can love him and and end the relationship too that's something you can do
1: Yeah. And I think that's really what we all need. It's not what we don't want to be enabled to the point to where it's like, you know, we don't have any friends being like, Hey babe, I'm concerned about you. Right. So we don't want to go down that trajectory, but we definitely want, don't want to go down the you're so dumb. Why don't you just leave like type of conversation? Because it's like, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. When we are shamed, into making like, you know, from the decisions that we make, it causes us to want to hide and go. I call it going internal even more. Like we, we recluse, like we pull away from people because if that's the response we're always getting, why do you think I'm going to feel safe coming to you being like, Oh my God, I need support or I need help or whatever. Like you're not right. So we need to kind of marry the two where we aren't shaming someone we are coming at them with from a place of concern curiosity and compassion right and it's like this is a safe space i am here for you when you need me i also want you to know i love you and i think the world of you and you deserve so much more and so i'm really curious to know like what keeps you going back like what what's on your heart what's on your mind what do you think is going to continue to happen if you do decide to go back like ask questions they will figure mm. it out Like, but they need to figure it out on their own because the reality is like, there's nothing anyone on the outside looking in can really say or do to get them to like, find that courage to leave. It truly needs to come from within themselves, you know? And so we can be their cheerleaders, right? And like you said, we lovingly support them without shame and provide a safe space, but that's really it. That's all you can do as a bystander, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. totally thank you so much for that and that's true because how often do we not ask questions or even think to ask questions because we have a fixed idea of no they need to do this and they'll be okay but just yeah talk to me tell me and the other thing is talking badly about the partner we think if we talk badly about the partner like they're a fucking asshole who would do this well this your friend loves this person so why would that why would that help yeah
1: Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, like people get so hyper fixated on the narcissist and like trying to diagnose them or excuse me, not diagnose them. And they get into this, like, again, this hyper fixation of like, are they really narcissistic or are they just having a bad day? And it's like, we need to get away from the narcissist and what they are or are not doing and pay way more attention to like, okay, so this is the third time that they've treated me and, X, Y, Z manner. So like for me, my ex-narcissist discard was cheating. So, you know, and it happened about every two weeks and that's a really lot, that's a lot of cheating when you sit down and, and think about how often, like how long I was with this person and how often it occurred. Um, and so, you know, when I, I got to a point where it was like, okay, this person keeps cheating on me, Every time they finish cheating on me, they come back and say this. What causes me to believe them this time? What do I? And I like when we can really start to get into like, okay, they're saying this and this is how I'm responding. What is it within me that has me going back to them? And again, having an abundance of love and grace and forgiveness to give is not the problem here. It's what within us is allowing us to give that to someone who is committed to not reciprocating it. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. That's the little switch. It's so subtle, but the second that we can switch that and start to realize like, okay, wait, this is how I'm contributing to this. And like, because I can control how I show up and I can control how the decisions I make, what decision do I want to make that's different this time? Right? Like Mm. instead of going back in this way, how can I choose to not go back? Right? Or instead of you know, allowing the narcissist to do X, Y, or Z. This is how, this is how I'm going to speak up for myself. This go around. Right. Um, mm. So just a little something to chew on for sure. Yeah.
0: Is there such a thing of overdiagnosing everyone as a narcissist or is that just something people say to push back? What do you think about that whole thing?
1: Oh, my gosh, love this question, too. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that there are people out there who are quick to label, Um, you know, like, for example, gaslighting, when we define it like Webster's dictionary, it's like, you know, denying someone's reality. Okay, cool. Like very surface level when we look at it. And so sometimes people will be in conversation and if their friends like, but that's not what happened. They're like, you're gaslighting me. You're a narcissist, right? No, no. Gaslighting is a two hit wonder. And it's, it's way more than just denying someone's reality. It's also a character attack. So like a narcissistic gaslighting pattern is going to sound like that's not what happened. You're crazy that's not what happened. You're making things up again, right? There's a character attack after the first gas, like the, what we would say is the textbook gaslighting, right? And yeah. so the reason I, I I think a lot of people are, uh, I think some people are quick to label narcissism out of their own defense. They're like, like maybe they've been through that in the past. And so now as like a self-protection mechanism, they like anyone who has the slightest sign of narcissism, they're like, stay away. Right. That could mm-hmm. definitely be a part of it. I think another thing is just a lack of education because yes, there's a ton, like you said, there's so much content out there on what narcissism is, but we need to understand that narcissism is a spectrum that narcissism um, in my opinion, especially after the amount of work I've done in this industry is way more common than what statistics show, because that statistic is built off of people who get their butts into a psychiatrist's office and actually get diagnosed, which is very rare for some, who's truly NPD, like diagnosable to do, Mm -hmm. right? Because they, in order for that to happen, this is actually kind of a frustrating reality, but for any kind of disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, even things like ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactive disorder, for any disorder to be diagnosed, the person needs to admit it's causing disorder in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't go and say, this person does XYZ are they a narcissist can you diagnose him? No. The person with the narcissistic characteristics needs to go into an office and be like, "Yo, this is what it's doing to me. Help me solve the problem." And then they can be diagnosed. Also doesn't happen, right? You know, I think I think that there is a little bit of that. Um but I really think that what we're seeing is is like we're calling bullshit. You know, it's like such a silly way to put it, but it's so true. I I truly believe that, and I've seen it, there's so many, and like we said before, even with the culture, political type side of things too, it's like, you know, there have been so many narcissistic behaviors and tendencies that have been normalized that people cling to. And so although they might not be truly narcissistic in in the fact that they are, you know, NPD, the disorder itself is a inner vow basically to avoid shame, right? So that's why the narcissist uses all the tactics they use is they refuse to take accountability or apologize because if they do, that means that they're feeling shame, right? And that Mm is a, a feeling they refuse to feel. So, you know, what we're really seeing here is, The edge as we become more and more educated on what narcissism is, we're seeing a few people stand behind like, well, this is how I was raised and I turned out okay, so be it. And they're going to stay stuck out Mm. of, again, a defense mechanism pattern. And then there truly are people who are narcissistic and the whistle's being blown and they're not happy about it. And so they're going to say that word is overused and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not though. You just don't want to be, again, you don't want to be held accountable. So you're avoiding you know, that kind of content and education being spread,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask because this is, this is heavy work, right? And you support a lot of people going through these experiences or who have left these experiences, but your space, like your page is a bright, positive space. And I can just tell from you that you're a bright, positive, energetic person, but how do you stay in this work and have it as your career without getting kind of dragged backwards?
1: Ooh, girl, you're asking so many good questions. (laughs) On the surface level, I'm going to say something so kitschy, but it's true. I practice what I preach, you know, like this work that I did to, you know, on. using the resources and the education I have to unwind my own trauma it's not just like I checked the box and like now my triggers that I used to have when I was still in the depths of my trauma no longer exist I'm done I never need to revisit it again that is not my motto like me Mm -hmm. as a practitioner like I am I am a lifelong healer I'm a lifelong learner And I am a lifelong evolver, you know, like I really believe like as a species, we are meant to be here to grow, evolve. And I also believe we're souls having a human experience for whatever reason to be enlightened or, you know, i don't know reincarnated as something else like you know i i do this is where <laughs> i get a little spiritual woo woo but the way i stay grounded is by regulating my nervous system every day is by you know taking the time to feel my own feelings like last tuesday i had a really heavy session with a gal on, you know, something she's working through with a parent figure. And after that session, I, I needed to feel my process, my own stuff because as I was holding space for her to process, I also started having some feelings come up for me. And so it's like, instead of, you know, this, this idea where like, we tell ourselves, I don't have the time to do that. Or I don't, you know, it's going to take too long. If I sit down to feel my feelings right now, we tell ourselves these stories that we don't have time or it'll take too long. But actually when we stay in the work and we, we really embrace these tools, it can happen so efficiently. And so I, I, you know, is is kitschy and surface level as it might say by the way I stay grounded and the way I stay positive is by doing the the things that I teach. Like it's the truth. You know, I regulate my nervous system every day. I take time to literally listen. I was listening to the birds chirp this morning, and I'm just like, "Hi, birdies!" Like, you know, like we're <laughs> yeah. all. It feels kind of like Snow Whitey in a way, but like. No. Those are the things that really churn me being grounded and me being able to remain positive and, and thankful for this work, despite, yes, conversations being heavy. And there's also a part of me that gets angry, like because of the mental health space, I think is really broken. And mm-hmm. so there's a part of me that's like, I I someday like my big scary goal is like someday I really wanna have an impact on on transforming the way that mental health is set up, especially in America. Like It should be a God given right for you to have access to free mental health services. It kills me that, you know, I make my program so cost effective where like I used to charge way more money. I've slashed my prices because I'm, I want to help more people. And it kills me that it's like, you know, spending $3 a day for someone is too expensive for mental health. That kills me. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. And so, you know, I, I really, I really someday hope that I have some kind of impact on like, what can we do? Because the other thing, sorry, I'm answering this question super long, but.
0: No, I love it. Keep
1: going. I really believe that mental health, if we can get globally, we can resolve trauma if we can enter inner peace, right, and like have grounded, less triggered people in power, so many wonderful things can happen. I really believe that mental health is the answer to like everything, <laughs> everything, you know? So mm-hmm. I I am really passionate about it, but that's how I stay focused and positive and don't let it get to me is just by doing doing the work, continuing to do the work
0: no matter what. Mm-hmm. thank you so much for that and also thank you for stating that's it it doesn't end and even if you get into a new relationship you know this is something I'm sure you see a lot is maybe people get into a healthy relationship but by that point they're hyper defensive or hyper cautious or like very hyper vigilant that must be something you you see a bit can you speak to that?
1: totally yeah this was me too I, this was actually one of the reasons why i started my business was because of that it's like i was unwinding my trauma from my past but then as i i started a wonderful healthy relationship a few years ago um since then we have we've gone our separate ways but still it was my first long-term like beautiful healthy relationship and in the beginning of that i was triggered left right and center i was suspicious i was anxious and so a lot of people start to ask they're like you know i am in a new relationship relationship. relationship with a wonderful person, yet I'm still like on edge what's going on. And it's because the healing work is still happening. And and really the, this sounds so science jargony, but it's the nervous system, right? Your nervous system, there's a great analogy for this that I'll talk about to really paint the picture in a minute, but your nervous system is what is supposed to keep you alive, right? Like If you touch a hot stove before your brain realizes you touched a hot stove, your hand is already moved. Why? Because your nervous system picks up on that stimulus. Ow, that's hot. If you had to wait for your brain to be like, ouch, you would already have (laughs) three degree burns, right? Yeah. So. The way that I kind of paint this picture is like looking at a dog who's been rescued from an abusive environment, right? Like when we, this dog, it's, it's, you know, it deserves all the love in the world, but when it leaves an abusive environment and enters a new home, even with, uh, you know, caregivers and, 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 um, I was going to say masters, you know, owners who, um, who love this dog and want to supply this dog with all the toys and treats and amazing food and and wonderfulness that they want to give it. Right. The dog doesn't know that the owners aren't abusive yet. Right. Mm. So how does the dog respond? It's going to be skittish. It's going to be standoffish when you go to pet it, it might nip at you. It might growl. Right. And so Mm. does that mean that the dog is all hope is lost? No, it just means that over time, when the dog learns that the new environment is safe and its nervous system can calm down and that, you know, it has an experience where the dog can be pet instead of beaten, then it starts to learn like you're safe. I'm safe with you. I love you. We're good. Right. And so mm-hmm. we as a species quite literally are no different. Your nervous system has been conditioned to be hyper-vigilant, to be on the lookout for, you know, are you about to gaslight me? Are you about to blame? You? Are you going to triangulate me? What's going on? Are you cheating on me? Who's on your phone? Like. There's all this suspicion, paranoia, hypervigilance that comes up, this anxiety baseline, and it's because your nervous system is trying to protect you from your new partner. Now, here's the thing. You can do option A, which is you stay in that relationship and you just like out of pure determination over time, like the dog, you learn like, okay, you're (laughs) not going to gaslight me. I can set a boundary with you. And I know I'm not going to be screamed at, Right or you can make it efficient. <laughs> and this is where the nervous system regulation comes in. And, and when you regulate your nervous system every day, I've had clients who I have a three, I have a three-day boot camp on this. It's about three hours long in, in total time, all about tracking your triggers, understanding your nervous system and regulating your nervous system. And I have people who take that program and they reach out. And just after the three days of it, they're like, I'm, I'm so calm. I'm surprised at how well this works. I'm off my Xanax, like all of this wild wow. stuff that, yeah, but because we're designed, we're designed to efficiently process emotions. We are back in the day with cavemen era, go on me in our little DeLorean, as we go back in time, right? Like when we were cavemen and women, we would hear a branch, you know, break in the forest and we'd be hyper vigilant, Like, Oh my God, is that a predator? Right. And then when we would assess the situation, we would either realize, yeah, fight-flight response needs to come on and I need to either get the heck out or fight this bear that's trying to come over to my tribe, right? Mm -hmm. Or we assess and it's like, oh, it was a bunny hopping in the woods. We're fine. And we can calm down. Right. But when we have unresolved trauma, we stay in the survival state, right? We stay in the fight, flight, freeze, spawn state. So when you can regulate your nervous system, you're quite literally showing and controlling your nervous system to enter its safety mode, right? Which is your rest and digest response. So Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of education there for you, but like seriously, like it doesn't healing. If I was going to say this, the healing steps aren't hard. The healing steps aren't hard. It's mm -hmm. the committing to doing it when you don't feel like doing it. And it's the uncomfortability of actually feeling your feelings. That's hard, right? Those are the two things that make healing challenging, but it's not the steps. It's the commitment and the feeling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a big distinction actually. Because I think yeah. people just think it's just going to be this hard chasm of like despair to go into. And it's like, well, actually the steps, if you approach it really systematically and don't negotiate with yourself each day, actually yeah. you'll move through it maybe better than you think you will.
1: Totally. Yeah. I think like for me, I think that's what really sets me apart from other people in this industry is I'm such a freaking science nerd. Like, And the reason I set my programs up the way I did is because- What At my lowest low, I was quite literally like curled up on the floor of my apartment crying, just like, well, someone just tell me what I need to do. Like, what do I need to do? Just give me the steps, like write me the recipe because there's, it's so loud. People are like journal, meditate, do this, do that. And it's like, okay, those are wonderful things, but really at the base of it all is the nervous system work because of exactly what I just described, right? Until we approach the nervous system, there's no amount of journaling, breathwork, or medita- er, breathwork is regulating, so that doesn't count, but journaling, <laughs> meditating, right? Reframing your thoughts. There's no amount of that that's going to truly transform your trauma and get rid of it, right? So right. I, I approach it this way specifically because of who... I was and what I craved when I was at my rock bottom. It's like, I didn't want to be anxious anymore. I wanted to tap into the difference between anxiety and intuition. I wanted to find inner peace. I wanted to find joy. I wanted to just be able to know, you know, people say this all the time and it used to piss me off. Just listen to your gut. Like when you're with them, listen to your gut. And it's like, what? When, you're, when your gut has been conditioned to always, uh, you know, again from the trauma when your butts when your gut has been uh, conditioned from the trauma in your past to always be suspicious and hypervigilant after what you went through. There's no amount of listening to your gut that's going to make sense to you. When yeah. My gut is like a skinny
0: cat right now. Like my yeah. gut can't be listened to at all. It wants to run exactly.
1: away. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, yeah. how do we heal the relationship in our nervous system so that we can differentiate between anxiety, intuition, and all of those other things, like the warning bells or true connection. I like to say bats or butterflies in the tummy. Like, is it a flutter mm-hmm. or is it like a get the heck out of here? Right. Um, right. So Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk.
0: Y'all went off. I love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's going to be super helpful to people. And as we start to wrap this up, I just wanted to say, what is one small thing that you'd like to say to maybe a listener who's in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. or healing through it? What is one small message you'd just like to give them?
1: You know, what's coming up for me intuitively right now is the difference between guilt and empathy. So I'm going to share that. I I speak to people every day who tell me, you know, I feel guilty for cutting them out. I feel guilty for leaving them. And the narcissist has purposefully gotten you to a point to where you hold on to that because the more guilt you feel, the more responsible you feel for them. Right. The less yeah. likely you are to leave. And so, if that's you, maybe you're trying to leave, but this sense of guilt has you going back, right? Or maybe you have left, but there's a part of you feeling guilty that, you know, might feel tempted to reach out or reconnect. I want you to know that that guilt is there by design. And that when you can recognize that it's actually not guilt, what you're really feeling, babes, is empathy. Because, and here's what I mean by that guilt is this very black and white, you either did something wrong or you didn't right? If you were in a court of law and and you said, I, I, you know, I sped down, I went 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. That's something that's like, okay, you did the thing that's guilt, right? And now you can take that healthy guilt to say, I'm going to do better next time. I'm not going to speed. That's not really what survivors of narcissistic abuse are feeling. What they're actually feeling is empathy because 99% of the time it's empathy disguised as guilt in the sense that you feel, and you know, That the narcissist is going to be upset that they're going to be angry, that they're going to be sad. And because of that, you're feeling guilty for causing those emotions in that other person. But it's understandable that you're going to have an empathetic response because you actually give a damn about how you impact people, right? And the narcissist has pushed and pushed and pushed to cause you to take over responsibility for their emotions so that you would conform to being who the narcissist wanted you to be. So I Mm. share that to say, don't let this guilt slash empathy, keep you stuck going back to the narcissist, because it's all a tactic. And when you can see it as a tactic, and when you can recognize the feelings, your feelings have been projected onto you by design to keep you coming back. I really feel that that Last little piece, it allows you to fully detach and start to disconnect when you're like, I'm feeling this way because they want me to. They have set the chess pieces up to make me feel this way so that they can still continue to get out of me what they want from me. When you see it that way, it allows for you to kind of come up for a breath of air and say, okay, I can feel this way and I can still choose to not go back. I can feel this way and still recognize this person is has proven to me by the pattern of their behavior that they're not for me, right? So that's what came up for me, whoever that was for. I hope that made you feel seen and understood. Um, Yeah. And, and just stick to your guns. You are so worthy. Like everyone on this planet is so worthy of love and so worthy of peace, like true peace. You owe it to yourself to, to stick to your guns and just focus on you because the life you're about to create for yourself, NERC free is going to be amazing. I can tell you that much.
0: Alex Scott thank you so much for this chat today it was it was really special thank you for giving us your time and for anyone who wants to learn more we'll be continuing this on Sunday so what can people expect to learn at the workshop on Sunday where will we go?
1: Totally. Um, I plan to talk a little bit more about the emotional addiction aspect and some of the other like, you know, science of why these relationships can feel so addicting and why we go back to them so often, because there's a lot of science there, um, as well as some of the other like brain phenomena that tend to happen when leaving a narcissistic relationship that people will interpret as signs or things like that. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit more into the psychoeducation of like, why are they really toxic relationships? Why do we go back to them even when we can logically recognize like it's not healthy and I also want to like equip some of the folks that show up with us to like with some tools. So I do want to talk about like, give you a little bit of how can you regulate your nervous system? How can you really set yourself up for success moving forward in your healing journey as you travel the world and like really cultivate a life that you thrive in? Like, what are some of the life changing tools that you can uh, implement into your day to day life that set you up, not only for a wonderful relationship with yourself, but also to attract a healthy partner that you know loves you for who you are and isn't on the narcissism spectrum at all. So that's mostly what we're going to be going into on Sunday.
0: This workshop with Alex Scott is going to be hosted live on the Salty Club on June 25th. So you are more, more than welcome to join. It will be about an hour and a bit, and we'll go over all of those things that Alex said. And if you use the code THRIVING23 without a G, so T-H-R-I-V-I-N 23, you will get $5 off. So it will be $20 for you. And you can find that at watch.thesalty.club. You can check in the show notes for the link as well if you'd like, and we'd love to see you there. If you'd still like to listen in on the replay, it will be available after June 25th, and you can totally just watch in your own time too. Hope to see you there. All right, awesome. And you speak about your nervous system regulation course. Where can people find that?
1: Yeah. So that's called hack your nervous system. Um, you can definitely find it if you're following me on socials, uh, at the Alex Scott on TikTok or Instagram, you can click the link in bio, go down to self-paced courses and find that there, or you can just slide into a DM. And of course I'll send you the link. So it'll be in the show notes too. Um, but that would be, it's only 33 bucks. And like I said, it'll change your life. So definitely worth it.
0: Awesome. Alex, thank you so much for everything today. Of course. Yeah. Great
1: conversation. You asked really good questions.